and welcome to the Sensibility Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Baker. I'm a financial advisor, money mindset coach, and all-out money guru when it comes to creating the financial future you are after. This is the podcast where we make talking money normal and manifesting into our lives practical. I share with you money mindset tips and tricks as well as practical financial strategies to help you create the financial life and relationship with money that you deserve. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello, welcome to the Sensibility Podcast. I am so excited to have you here, Peter, because we spoke months and months ago, and I was I invited you on the podcast after that, and then I think I had a new house, and all sorts of things happened, and so I have a special guest here today, Peter Graham, who has a business called Redefining the Time. Peter, you've been in this industry for quite a while, but a veteran in the industry, and also an incredible mentor to many people. Can you just quickly give us a update on what you're doing right now, what redefining retirement is all about, just to give out of what you're doing? Well, in summary, I'm, I'm teaching people how to retire. Years ago, I went to a conference and I decided I'd ask people what they're doing about retirement. Now, I was, was 18 years ago, so a long time ago. And to my absolute surprise, nobody had a clue what they were doing in retirement. So I learned very quickly to know anything about retirement. And so I decided that I would learn retirement and I would teach people how to have a fabulous retirement. It's quite incredible. I actually had a phone call this morning, an inquiry, and she has been sort of in this transition to retire for some time. She hasn't really put a timeline yet. She's 73. And I asked her that question. I said, what are your plans? What are you going to do? I haven't really thought about that. And I thought, what do you like doing? And she goes, oh, I like, I'd like to catch up with friends for lunch. And it was just, wow, I haven't really thought about that. I said, well, I'd like you to go away and have a real think about what you'd like to do with yourself. Your time, she goes, well, I think I'll just keep working. And it's like, I didn't mean to now get you in the corner where you just wanted to continue working. Mm-hmm. It was more about getting you thinking about this is a new chapter in your life. Where are you going to, you know, what, what are you going to do with that? Because I can model out the numbers and show you how you can finance whatever you want to do. But it's easier for me to do that when I have an idea of what you want to do. Mm. And, and most people have little or no idea. Now, there are, you know, a small percentage are very, very focused. But the majority aren't focused. And the big issue in retirement is that people do not prepare for their retirement, whenever that will be, and even if they're going to have one. Mm. My business name is Redefining Retirement, and what I decided was people needed to sit down and think about how they need to spend. I'm saying to people, why don't you think about all the different things that you could do and then work out how to do it? There's a a real lack of education when it comes to what's happening in retirement for an individual. So, Amy, if you've got clients or friends or anybody who might watch this podcast who have a question, by all means, call me. I'm very happy to have a quick chat to let people know a few ideas to help them get ready for retirement or even if they're in retirement, how to have a fabulous time. I've got so many questions when we ask this. First of all, one question I've got is, what's the wildest or craziest retirement plan you've ever come across? What's yours? <laughs> well, I, I'm 78 and still working. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, Amy, I don't get this thing called retirement. 
To me, it's a life, and you've got to live a life. Okay, you may not want to do the traditional things of work every day until you're 96, but you can redefine your life so that you're still busy and, and still any of your clients or friends or people who see the podcast, they can contact me and I'll try and help them out. Fantastic. And I'm going to ask that question again, but what is the wildest, craziest retirement plan you've come across? You're, you're already still working. Is that a plan? You, you, do you actually want to retire or decided that, you know, there was a situation where it changed your because you actually enjoy doing this? And that became your retirement plan? The more people I've spoken to about retirement, the less I want to go for a traditional retirement. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand, knowing what I know, why people want to have a traditional retirement. And one of the reasons is this. I've surveyed surveyed every retiree I've met, and 57% of them have said they're bored. Now, I don't get it. If you're going to spend 30 years of your life in this thing and you're bored, what's the point? I don't understand. Is that the average person in watches screens? It can be a phone, it can be a tablet, it can be a computer, it can be the television screen or the large screens, nine hours a day. Mm. Now, the clients of my friends that I talk to say no, I'll say that again. The children of my clients that I talk to say, no, that's that's not right. 15 hours a day is more like it. In other words, there's this time wasting that goes on when you have nothing to do, Mm -hmm. when you haven't got a mindset of activity and doing things and meeting people and travelling and doing all those things. You sit and you watch television. That's what happens. That's staggering. That's a long time to be sitting and doing nothing. The other thing that I've read, and there's quite a lot of data on this, is that there's quite a problem in terms of mental health issues when it comes to retirement because there's a sense of worth that people have when they're working and that gets altered and changed when you're not working and that can kind of spiral into a spot of depression or even long-term depression if you've kind of lost yourself along the way from working to into that space of retirement. I guess adding that with boredom, that actually would compound that problem. So are you finding with the work that you do, do you come across people really suffering in that respect? Yes, and it's a terrible problem out there. And one of the reasons is that people don't know how to meet people and the importance of continually meeting people. Because as we get older, our friends are moving on. Now, they might go to a facility, they might go interstate, or they might go overseas, or they might go to a retirement village, or they might go into a dementia clinic, or they might die. So our circle of friends is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So one of the key things that a retiree can do is to go out and expand that circle of friends. In other words, build it back up again. And the important message is this, that every friend you've got and I've got and every other person's got, we didn't know them before we knew them. And so you're now in exactly that same situation of going out and meeting people so that you can turn them into friends. That takes a while to do it, but it's worth doing. So in your business now, you're coaching people to 
basically retire or plan their retirement in a different sense as advisors we plan our clients retirement from a financial perspective but you're giving them the tool and get, getting them to reframe their thinking I should say on how to how to actually get into retirement and the new activities and the new life that they're basically about to endeavor exactly I've worked out that there are about 60 things that you need to think about before you retire so I teach the other 59 and those are lifestyle skills. Now, money is important. We all need money, but it's not about money. Retirement no. is not about money. <clears throat> Retirement is about how are you going to live maybe 30 years. That's 11,000 days that you've got to think about. You play golf. Oh, no. What are you going to do? And so it's the next question, which is really important. So be it travelling or be it running a sport or gardening or looking after your house or your grandchildren, it's the what's next question, which is so important. And do you find when they're at that point, I guess my first question would be, are people coming to you already retired or planning retirement? Or my business is divided into two parts. There's pre-retirement and post-retirement. And I do different things for each group. Right. So pre-retirees, I like to see them in, as long as they're working, and it could be any time from 50 plus and still working. That gives people time to understand what retirement might be about and to develop the habits which will allow them to have a fabulous retirement. So what happens is these people, when they've done the pre-retirement course, they tend to slide into retirement and keep doing the things that they thought about back when they were 50 or 55 and 60. So they slide into this time called retirement and keep moving. The majority of people go along with their life and one day they fall into retirement and that's the problem. They yeah. suddenly become this retired and they do not know what to think about. Yeah. And that's where the, the screens, the watching television and the depression and everything right. comes in. Exactly. Yeah. So when you're dealing with a retired group, how how are they in a situation, I guess, to be looking for something at that point? I guess there are people that are sort of going, there's got to be more than this. Is that are they the kind of people that are looking for this kind of service? Or um, how are you kind of getting these actual retired members seek your your coaching and your counseling? We're about to release a, a, a module course, inexpensive, a module course, and every fortnight there will be four topics which will be explained to people. So the first one might be what's the significance of 11,000 days. There might be a, a lawyer who's given the nine legal issues to think about in retirement. It might be on decluttering or it could be on diabetes. So I've looked at all the possible topics and I've got experts from every area to present to me all the things that they should know about. So in summary, the course is about people finding out information that they should know but didn't know before they retired. And that type of thing will help them have a fabulous retirement. For example, diabetes is a terrible problem and it's not a good issue to have. The reason is that if you've got diabetes, any time you get anything else, it's compounded by the diabetes. So if you have cancer or whatever, the fact that you've got diabetes compounds the issue and makes it more difficult to handle. My question is, why is it there are so many people out there 
that don't know enough about diabetes. What are the issues? What are the chances? Etc. So my role in the course is to explain to people all of these issues, and there are 20 years of programs if people are looking for any on because there are so many things that people need to think about. Yeah. Decluttering, for example, it's a huge problem in our society. For example, there are people who have houses and they, are, they have rooms that haven't been in for five years simply because all the junk's been put into yeah. that. The door gets closed. Yeah, and if you, if you talk to a widow and she goes out to see what's in the garage, all she, all she does is close the door yeah. because it's a nightmare to understand what's in there. So the decluttering process should take place over a period of time, not on one day. So we all should learn to do that with all the junk in the garage and equipment and all the stuff we've got. Doing little bits by little bits, creating new yep. pa- new habits and behaviours, which actually that's right. It's what I call the habit stack. And so my my expert on big club is able to explain to people what they need to think about and the process to reduce their their activities. Sorry, reduce the junk if you like that they've got in their lives, and to do it in a systematic way. Well, and now I'm going to go back to health because health is a big part of, you know, we're, we're, as we get older, I mean, even me, I'm already starting to be aware that I've got to be, you know, I've got to wear glasses more. I've got to be more mindful about looking after myself. So at retirement, that's a time where we really do need to be focused on in looking after ourselves and our health because if we don't, it can very quickly decline. So in your training, you've covered, you've already mentioned the diabetes thing. You sort of cover, that kind of thing in terms of integrating good health in lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I'm going to talk to you about that later. Oh, okay. We're not done, we're not done with you. Because yeah, we haven't had a conversation. Sorry to cut you off. And you let me hang here for months waiting to know your five things. I'm going to get to that soon as well. So go up, we'll go back to talking about health okay. and, and, the, and the work that you're doing. Sorry. So in respect to retirees, your your oh, you know your coaching your offering your course will be is is designed to ensure that they have a really healthy lifestyle maintain their health so you know prolonging their lives enjoying their retirement I mean who who wants to retire unwell and just going in and out of doctor's appointments exactly and if you don't plan for it that's probably what will happen and so planning to be healthy for example losing weight a lot of people need to lose weight I'm always trying to lose weight. It's a it's a real issue for most people. Not that I'm overweight, but no. I still want to reduce weight. Mm-hmm. But I also know that there's not one person in the world who's over 100 who is overweight. That might be worth thinking about. Yes, and and, and and weight is a problem because it's usually brought about by a habit, which is bad. Mm-hmm. And so, as I said before, those who develop the habits early before retirement, they can improve their habits so that they continue on. Another good one is walking, for example, exercise. Now, I walk about nine to 10 kilometers a day. Not every day, but the average is there at that. And it's got a few minor effects. If you do a lot of walk exercise, there's way to And so it goes on. So the point I'm making to people is that things they can do have multiple benefits, not just one benefit. Yeah. So losing weight does a heck of a lot of other things for you. For example, staying off sugar, for example, is a, a good example of um, 
I'll say that again. So the staying off sugar is something that people need to really concentrate on. Sugar is poison. That's what it is, poison. Too much sugar is bad for you, and it's really bad for you, not only with diabetes, but so many other things. So staying off sugar, it's a good habit to get into early in the piece, because I can tell your viewers that the older you get, the harder it is to change your habits. There's so many things which I'm helping people understand. It sounds like a lot of this is also, you you know, really working on your mindset, you know, getting to think about things differently, see things differently, but then as you start thinking about things differently, you're putting into action new behaviours and then it just sort of follows on from that. So, so I mean, I think that we could all benefit by what you're teaching, not just in retirement, in terms of just really mm. looking at life from a perspective of what we really want to be doing with ourselves and how we want to live and how we want to ensure that we do that without getting you know, without getting too sick, with you know, being healthy, being having the vitality to do the things we want to do. So since I'm getting quite excited by this whole concept of what we're doing because I feel we actually, we actually all need to really think about why are we here, you know. I mean, I, we, we all have, I ask my clients and my students, what's your why? What's, what's motivated you to either seek advice or, you know, join up my, on my course, which is Financial Literacy and Mindset Coaching? Why would... You do that. So, what are the important things to us? We really got to start thinking about this on a regular basis because otherwise, what is the point? And with work and retirement, those two things have to have a major answer to the, you know, to the question. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, it is a pointless exercise. You may as well stay working if you don't have the plans. By the sounds of what we're hearing, well, not necessarily work. I think when we were kids, we used to help mum. Or dad around the place, and then we went to school contributing. Now you, your children. I'm contributing because I've got grandchildren. I like. I like to think of it more as continuing the contribution after that thing called work has mm -hmm. slowed down or gone. So if you're still contributing in some way, it's amazing what can happen. And if you want happiness, start contributing to people and helping people. And you get happiness. It's uh, it's one of those wonderful things that can happen. And years ago, when I was much younger, I, I used to mentor street kids. Now I knew what a street kid was. I'd heard about it. Did I did I know what they did? Or no, I had no idea. So it was a huge challenge for me to learn the thinking of these street kids out. And it took me years to get to know more about what's going on. It was exceptionally satisfying to do that type of work. And I would encourage people to think of life as one long stream of contributions to different people, different things, different causes, all that. As long as you keep doing that, it is a fabulous life. You have a fabulous life. That is so good to hear. I keep thinking about my parents, naturally, and my parents. Uh, Mum retired a little earlier than usual because her eyesight was going, but then she had, thank God, advancements in technology and whatnot and, and um, medical research. They, Her eyesight's been much more restored than what they expected. But then my parents actually inherited, sort of took, took 
I shouldn't say word inherited. My parents still buy from nieces, they were toddlers when they were very little. At the time, I think Hope was 18, no, Hope was three and Joy was 18 months, and my brother's children. Um, and they've raised them. But they've also, not just these girls who are now 18 and 16, they've also contributed to their local church. They do the gardening around the church. Mum's in, you know, I think she's actually a, a chair in the Provost Club. They Mum does Bible study. They're very involved in the community. But when the girls were little, they were the same age as my boys. Mum was involved with the school. They were always busy. So I'm thinking with what you're saying, the contribution, because I always felt that my parents had somehow missed out because they were raising kids in their retirement. But listening to this, it's given me that sense of a joy in some respects to say that they're t- they've had the opportunity to have the time to do this, you know, that would have been far more challenging if I got the girls, you know, as you know, with five kids, that, that would have been difficult. They took it on and they've done a beautiful job and they've continued to contribute along the way and they're in transition again with the girls getting older and hope just moved down home. But they actually really are fine with that because they, they've got place down the south coast, they go driving, they've got all their things in the community and they're very busy people, even though they know that it's just given me a, a bit of peace about that too. Well, I think it's important to be busy. You've got to keep going. You've got to have a focus. You've got to have things to do. Because if you don't, you'll sit down and do nothing. For example, most retirees watch television. Now, we won't number about the number of hours at this stage, but the question is this, and I ask this with people when I'm giving talk. If you watch television, can you tell me Anything that you have learned in the last five years which has significantly changed your life, I've never had an answer, ever. Nobody can tell me the purpose of watching television apart from old being informed. So what? Mm. No. And so we need to look at things in another way, yeah. and that's what I'm getting people to do, to rethink the way they approach pretty well everything. And that's... Something that I wanted to ask about you, you've approached, so I'm going to go a bit of a segue now to talking a bit about you because you've approached uh, life and, and had to tackle it, in fact, to survive when you, you had cancer. I'll get you to talk about that. And there's something there that I feel that you've, you've got a secret. You know, you were very unwell and on the brink of potentially passing away. So if you don't mind, first just sharing what, because you had a melanoma. Yes, I had a melanoma, all melanoma. It wasn't something that they could say, oh, yes, look, I had an itch in my back and it just wouldn't go away. And I kept thinking, uh, and for some reason, I know not why, one evening at about 1 a.m. in the morning, I woke up and I remember what my grandmother said to me when I was about five or six years of age. So that's like 70 years beforehand, to say. Yes. And I woke up and, and she said to me at the time, and I can clearly remember her saying, you've got an itch which won't go away, it's probably cancer. And I got up in the morning and I thought, oh, so I went to a skin spit. And I said, I've got a bad itch here. And he said, where? And I, he said, there's nothing there. And I said, I'm sorry, but it, no, there's nothing there. I've looked at it and you know, there's nothing there. A couple of weeks later, after I went away, it was still itching, so I went back and it's still there. And he said, there's nothing there. I will go for scans and we'll do all the tests and everything. And of course, nothing showed up. And then I went back to him and I said, after he said to me, what are you doing here? 
I said, I'd like you to take the itch out. And he said, would you mind telling me how you take an itch out? And I said, I don't know, that's your job. And he said, Peter, we are not allowed to break into clear skin and dig around in the hope we find something. And I said, well, I'm sure you've got a few papers in there which will allow to take over your responsibility for this. And he said, yes. So I signed all the papers. He went in, he dug and he found this little tiny thing that was about Oh, about a millimetre and a half across, little white bristly things. And they sent it off to the pathology in Canberra. They didn't know what it was. And so they immediately sent the histology about this particular object down to Melbourne and Sydney. They didn't know what it was. So I went to America overnight and back came the, the that was melanoma. And it was a very unusual form of melanoma and not seen in Australia, Australia before. And so he said, right, You'll have to go and have all the margins taken out and everything. So I did all that. And the surgeon afterwards, he said, now, look, he said, it hasn't gone away. We just can't see it. So just be aware. He said, I want you to have a scan, a full body scan, mm -hmm. uh, every six months. No, I did. Nothing there. Did. Nothing there. And another time, this was about 18 months after it been removed, yeah. and had another scan. And he rang me that afternoon and he said, look, Got a bit of a problem. I don't think it's melanoma. He said, you've got a little black spot in your lung. He said, that's what we call a speculated lesion. He said, it's not serious, if that's what it is. I'll go in there and take it out, and all you need to do is see a thoracic surgeon. And he said, no, you'll see him tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I said, so I went to see him. And the guy said, yeah, you've been told the right thing, and that's what the images show, but it's a detail. So I'd like to go for another different type of scan and have better detail. And so I did the scans, and the day after I did the scans, got a phone call at 7 o'clock in the morning. It was this doctor. And I said, yeah, I'm catching up. He said, no, you're doing that today. I said, oh, I'm on time. And he said, I'm 30 this morning. I said, oh, okay. I'm going to cough. 7.30 this morning. Yep. So I went to see him, and he said, look, mate, he said, you can be, you have liver cancer. I said, what? What didn't show up on the PET scan? He said, no. It's been developed since then. This is in days later. Wow. And, and he said, you need to see an, on, an oncologist. And next to him was an oncologist. And he said, look, you're now Lebanese. I want you to go to the Melanoma Institute. I went there the next day. And she said, better scans. We can do better now. And so I went to the scans in Sydney, came back the next day, and she said, have you got a problem? I said, what's that? You have stage four cancer, liver, lungs, and bones. No. And I said, uh, in two weeks? And she said, yes, that's the type of cancer you have. She said, um, don't know how long you'll live, but it won't be long. And there's only really one thing that we can do. And there's a new technology in the world called immunotherapy. It's been in America a while, not long. I have access to it. It's not on PBS or anything like that. I can give you four free doses and then you have to pay for it if you live back. I said, fine. So I said, let's go. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, come on, let's get on with it. Oh, okay, she said. And I started taking this immunotherapy. Now, immunotherapy is not like normal cancer treatment. In the past, we've killed the cancer. That's what chemo does. Mm -hmm. Immunotherapy doesn't touch the cancer. It makes... It's easier for the immune system to attack the cancer. 
because normally what happens is the cancer is there, the immune system shows its face, the cancer puts up a barrier. So the immune system goes through and the cancer changes its profile a little bit. So that didn't work. Now what this this happened, what's happened is that immunotherapy breaks down that barrier. And so the immune system is perfectly strong enough to kill melanoma, which I might add is one of the deadliest form of cancers. And I said, okay, let's go. And so I started that treatment and I just went like this, down, 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 down. But before she started, she said, Peter, I will look after the medical side of things. You have to agree to me that you will not do any form of alternate medicine, none whatsoever. I said, yeah, right. She said, all you have to do is to stay alive. And I said, oh. So I went home that night, immunotherapist staying the next day, and I thought, how do you stay alive? Something that people have never thought about. How do you stay alive? And I decided that I would do seven things every day for as long as I was going to be alive. Seven, not five. First one is that every day I would get up and dress up and show up. No, no matter how bad I felt, every day I would do that. Mm-hmm. There would be no sugar, cancer loss sugar. There would be no television, radio, or social media. None. Why? Because it's so negative. Mm-hmm. You think about what's on those those <clears throat> systems out there. It's everything is negative. The next one was that I would continue to walk my ten thousand steps a day in those days. That's what I did. The next thing I decided to do is that I would, every day, relax. I'd learned earlier on how to progressively relax, start to move up the body and relax the body. And I still wanted to meet people the whole time. I wanted to get out there the whole time. If someone said, I'll come and see you, I said, no, I'd go and see you. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to keep the activity going and everything like that. I'd just keep going, keep going, keep going and never, ever, ever slow down. Now, I did slow down quite and I remember after the, the fourth treatment, she said, now, Peter, you got a problem. So what's that? And she said, the immunotherapy is, the free life is gone. You now have to decide whether you're going to do this immunotherapy for how it, before you go, that you have to pay me every fortnight. Wow. A dose. I looked at my wife and, and we both said, yep, that'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And she said, right. So that's what we did. Now, ironically, by the time the dose the next one came, they put it on the PBS, so it cost me nothing. Right? And but I just kept getting down, going down and down and down and down. Christmas Day arrived, and I really didn't know how long I had. I was very, very bad. I was struggling every day to get out of bed, to do anything. And I went down to the kitchen and went to the dining room on Christmas Day, and I, I can't do this. I'd already said goodbye to all my family, my friends, because there was just no hope. And I went out, got back into bed, and I thought, oh, no, Peter, promised. And I go through all those items again, go to sleep. Got up the next day, what the hell am I doing here? And then I said, no, Peter, you promised every day you would do those seven things. Whether you're alive, you must keep doing them. I said, okay. I'm talking to myself, of course. And so I did as best I could during that day. And the next night I went to bed and I thought, oh, that night I went to bed and I thought, well, that's boxing night. And I thought, oh, no, you promised. 
And the next day came the same process, and it was getting worse and worse. I could hardly move. I went to bed that night, and I said, I'll give it another day. I went to bed, going through the list again. Got up in the morning, I hopped on the end of the bed, and I thought, hang on, I'll call my wife in. And she said, yes, and I said, I'm going to leave. And it was only then that I realised why the doctor said to me, all you have to do is stay alive. Because the immunotherapy takes an unknown time before it reacts. Right. Now, my body was completely riddled with cancer. And two weeks later, I had scans. Half the cancers are gone, and the other half were half the size. Wow. That's immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. Now, four years of battling after that mm -hmm. with treatment to survive to the point where I'm on, no longer on any treatment. And there were lots of terrible things happened in that time. But at the end of it, I'd added up the cost of everything, the potential, the, the, the notional cost of the immunotherapy, of all the other treatments, the tablets, the doctor's visits, every conceivable thing. And, and if I'd had to pay, it would cost $1.2 million wow. for that dose of melanoma. Now, because the government was there to help, what a society we live in that that actually takes place, it didn't cost me anything like that. My health fund cost about $60,000 cost the health fund, and I think I put in about, I suppose, $45,000, uh, you know, sitting in waiting rooms and travel and parking and all the things associated with surviving. And now I don't have any treatment at all. I have regular tests and the like. But the the issue that your viewers would be interested in, I'm sure, is the strength that you get by having clear, stated, written goals. You know what you're doing, you know why you're doing it, and you have an absolute purpose. Absolutely. Now, that's what I learned over all of that. I still do it. Mm -hmm. I still walk for 10 kilometres a day, and I still get up at 5.30 in the morning, and I'm still working pleasantly busy mm -hmm. and doing the things that I have to do and it's and it's fantastic. There's so many lessons just in that story. I really appreciate that it was, it's very emotional as well and you know, having to go back to a time that was just so challenging, beyond challenging, to be here to tell it is incredible but this, the fact is the lesson invaluable for absolutely everyone, mm -hmm. you know, those, those key things just showing up, you know, mm -hmm. getting dressed, doing those thing and you know blocking out negativity love that one i am always ranting on about being you know filtering information and taking in and always questioning is it serving you is it serving who you want to become your future self is that who you really are you're going to listen to that negative stuff That's right. and including our thoughts so you are constantly in check by the sound of it of your own thinking of your own thoughts so you go there and say to yourself it's still another day. But you're telling yourself we're going to live another day. That's right. That's my no right that. there. That's pretty amazing. There's no doubt. And it was interesting, but um, a couple of years later, I was in the States. And uh, so I was still in the middle of the treatment, but I took some time off to go to the States to see friends and go to the Million Dollar Roundtable and the like. And I caught up with the psychologist who taught me self-relaxation. And he said, what did you do? And I told him all the things that I've just as I've said to you. And he said, Peter, he said, the thing that probably 
saved your life. Apart from the medicine, which was fantastic, and we can't go past the treatment you've got and everything else, but the one thing that has made a difference, and they've only just realised it, and that was going back a few years now, they've only just realised that relaxation does more the immune system than most other things. And they've just worked that out in society. So I no longer do my soft relaxation. I do 30 minutes of meditation every morning where the body's totally relaxed. And I turn this thing off, which is awfully hard to do, mm-hmm. to turn it off, but I do it every day. And that has helped me have a fabulous day every day, just starting off being totally and utterly relaxed. I don't have any issues to think about. I've just done it. Now, when I look on my desk, there's big issues. But I do it without looking at the desk in the morning. I do it in the dark, and I sit there, and I you know, just do it. So. The discipline associated with doing the things that you say you're going to do is the thing that we all struggle with. Every single one of us struggle with the fact that you've got to do it. Oh, that piece of chocolate, one piece wouldn't hurt. Or it doesn't matter if I miss out on day's exercise. Or it doesn't matter if I watch it. It does. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've learned. I've learned from all my friends and professionals and the like. But personally, that... You've got to be focused to the point where if you say you're not going to do it, that means you are not going to do it. It doesn't mean you're not going to do it six six days a week and not the seven. It's every day. And and that's been an enormous benefit to me. So it's really maintaining that self-integrity. And when we have that, when we're in alignment with our integrity, everything else can really fall into place. So it's not, you know, our mindset is part of the puzzle but I feel it's sort of we've all got we've all sort of really honest with ourselves everything you're saying just resonates so much with mm. with the things that I'm doing in, in, in the coaching that I do but when we're not in line with our integrity we're frustrated we're in a place of we're annoyed with ourselves we get annoyed it has a rippling effect and it's a negative effect in all areas of our lives so if we just take a leaf and all it takes is that self-discipline. Just run with that, you know, have that integrity and maintain that because it will all fall into place and you will feel so much better about things. Frustration will just fall away. It is in terms of your heart, your situation, I'm sure, you know, it was hard and I know my, some of the things that I've set out to do are challenging. But once you get on the other side, there's the reward. And look at you, yeah, your, yeah. your reward actually staying alive. I mean, we've got an extreme case here for you, but I'm just so pleased that we could actually talk about this. I feel we've really gone full circle because coming back to the work that you do. Before we do that, can I just one thing? Sure. Whatever the issue that people have, we need to understand one simple fact of life, and that is that no no one is going to come and rescue you. Life is a personal responsibility. And if you want to have a fabulous retirement, you must work at it. It's your responsibility. No government or partner or, or society is going to come and rescue you so you have a fabulous time. It's all up here. You've got to think it through. You've got to work it out and actually. Now, I'm still learning. I still go to education courses. I go to what I call collaborative groups, and they're groups of people I don't know so that I can meet new people and differing people with different thought patterns and all this type of thing. 
I learn every day. I'm still practicing that type of thing. And we've got to assume in life that life is a personal responsibility. And I remember a very good friend of mine and some of the older friends that you've got, maybe the parents of your parents would remember a guy by the name of Earl Nightingale. He was a fabulous, he was the most syndicated radio personality in the world. And Earl Nightingale said to me one day, he said, everybody is where they are because that is where they want to be, whether they will admit that or not. And that is all about personal responsibility. So the same is with money, as it is with retirement, it's with relationships, it's with everything. It's a personal responsibility and no one's going to come and rescue us. Here, here. Oh, that is such great advice. That is, oh, I love that because I'm always ranting on about this stuff too. So that's that's actually beautiful. And when it comes to finances, you know, I I work with a lot of females and I'm, you're the plan, you're creating it, you're the one who's going to make it happen, you know, and that's the same with the retirement planning uh, and actually doing the activities you want to do in your life. It's actually any part of our lives, mindset plays a huge part to it. But And I didn't really want to go down the whole road of talking mindset because I always end up in that topic. But it does go to show how important it is that we have that awareness that we're responsible. Where that's it. This is, you know, that this is your life, this is my life. And I've been handed this opportunity, so I better make the most of it. And it's really interesting when you think about it. If you're going towards retirement, you must get your own thinking correct. Mm-hmm. Not your partner's thinking, your own. You've got to get your own right, and then your partner or friend or whoever mm-hmm. it might be has to get their thinking right. Then you merge the ideas, not merge them beforehand. When I run a pre-retirement course, I don't spouses or partners who sit next to each other. So when I'm talking, I don't want, what do you think, dear? Don't want any of that. He's or she's over there and the opposite that's there and the like. They do not sit together because planning for retirement is a personal responsibility. You must get your own thinking right first. Then you go to your member or partner, what am I, and talk about it. That's when you compromise and work out how you can be together. Never live somebody else's life in retirement, ever. Just don't do it. Now, I'm not talking about if you've got a crisis with your partner who's in hospital dying of cancer. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about normal life situation. We do not, under any circumstances, take on the other person's lifestyle so that we will be happy. It doesn't work that way. No. It comes back to the ownership mm-hmm. of our own happiness too, right? And that's all. We all come in with our own values and goals into relationships as well. So we can't expect that we're just going to accept what our partner wants to do and just think that we're going to love it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like um, mm-hmm. As you sort of raised the conversation earlier, about someone wanting to, I, I couldn't think of anything worse. I wouldn't want to be in a partnership or I'm going to be hanging out at the golf club because you're golfing. Right? That's right. So I love that because great them so they really have that, that you know, <laughs> moment of tuning into who they really are. And also when we, you know, we are looking at the end stages of life too. So I've just recently had a client pass away. So now there's, you know, the, the other, his wife is widowed and she's, 
in retirement and so she's now got her with a new identity in that process of grieving but also living for herself only for That's herself. Right. Yep. So if you've already got practice of knowing who you are, that process is not as hard. It's still going to be hard, but it isn't going to be too difficult because you're not in a space of like, I'm sure if you are, and, and that brings in that bigger void of loneliness when you're sort of not aware of yourself. That's right. And then the more planning you've done, when the crisis hits, it's easier to handle. Mm -hmm. So if your crisis hits, you've got to handle the crisis. But if you've got your life organised, it's far easier to get back into this, this domain that you're doing. For example, I've met one lady whose husband died and he looked after all the finances. And we've all heard of this before. Mm -hmm. But when he died, she thought, oh, what do I do now? Because he didn't have time to tell her. So these are the things that we've got to all learn to do before these crises happen in our life. So that if we're on our own, we know what to do and how to do it. Yeah. And I'd say to those who are advisors listening, have that conversation about plan. And if someone is, if you know one partner who's actually looking after finances, is there an understanding of where all that information is? Is there logins? Is there, do you, did the other party know actually how to access right. that information? Because that's, right. yeah. that's a really important thing to do as well. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to wrap this up, but I, I think we could have kept it all afternoon because there were so many amazing there. Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom and the work that you're doing for both the pre-retirees and retirees is incredible because you're really you, enhancing honey. people's lives at a time where they really should make the most of it, right? You know? That's right. Like, hey, well, sunshine. So while you can, you've got the time, why not make the best out of it? So thank you so much again for your time. Well, anyone who wants too. to reach out, no, anyone who wants to reach out to Peter, I'll put his details in the show notes. I know you can find him on LinkedIn as well, but we'll have some links there for you. So thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share the love like and share all posts. Social links are in the show notes below. Please note that any information shared in this podcast is general in nature and not to be perceived as financial advice. Please seek advice from a licensed financial advisor just like me. We also want to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the traditional custodians of this country we record this podcast in. We recognise their continuing connection to the land and waters and thank them for protecting this coastline and its ecosystems since time immemorial.